0: You're listening to Up Your Brave on RCR, Reality Check Radio.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Up Your Brave show on Reality Check Radio. I'm your host, Natalie Cutler Welsh. And this week we are diving in. This is part two. This is week two. We're focusing on keeping kids safe. I am so thrilled to introduce you to my next guest. Her name is Carrie Scudder. And we're going to be talking about the importance of authentic connection. Welcome, Carrie. It's great to be here. So good to have you on the show. For those of you that are listening and you haven't heard of Carrie before, Carrie Scudder of Carrie Ann Coaching is an experienced life coach and mindfulness trainer. She's a professional focused on strengths based supervision in the mental health sector with five years' experience as a crisis counselor for Lifeline Aotearoa. She has a broad life and work experience ranging through hospitality, importing, teaching, facilitating sales, and medical and mental health sectors. Carrie, I'm so excited to tap into some of your knowledge today. Before we dive in, I would love it if you could share with us um, a little bit of your backstory. I know you got into this area a little bit later on in life. So how did that how did that come to be?
0: Oh, thanks, Natalie. Yeah. Um, I was 53. And newly separated, I had two teenage boys at the time, and I was sort of feeling a little bit, um, what now? And I decided to explore really my, I'd always loved human beings. I was very interested in the nature of humans. Mm -hmm. So I decided to go to university, and I completed a a degree in um, psychology and philosophy, uh, which yeah, I just loved it, and it led to a lot of personal growth and led me to the work also that I'm currently doing and, and have done where I've had lots of fantastic conversations and interactions with people. Um, and it's really led to me, me to believe that the thing that most of us need to thrive, to heal, is safe, authentic connection. Mm. And if we, if we find a way to that, connect to ourselves and then connect to other people, you know, we really can change and heal and and um, it doesn't matter what age we are. It doesn't matter whether we can be a child or, you know, someone of my age, it, it doesn't matter. We just need those things.
1: Okay, in a minute, I would love to dive more into what exactly safe, authentic connection looks like. Mm-hmm. But I first want to commend you because... I think a lot of people, you know, I love that you're fascinated by humanity, same. (laughs) And a lot of people, I think, kind of go, oh, I wish I'd studied this. Or why didn't I do that? Mm. And they kind of think, well, the ship has sailed. And I love that you're kind of an inspiration for a lot of my listeners, hopefully, you know, that the ship hasn't sailed. And if you do want to study something or change careers or change direction, I say go for it. And um, it's amazing that you actually did that. You followed your path.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so. a big step at the time. People used to say to me, "What are you doing?" And I said, "Actually, I'm just feel like I'm jumping off a cliff, but I'm doing it anyway." And that literally, initially, was what it felt like.
1: Yeah. Well, you've helped <laughs> hundreds of people on that journey, so that's amazing. Can you walk us through when you said safe, authentic connection is so critical? Whether they're a child, a teen, a, a parent, what does that look like? early? Like, how does that present?
0: Um, it's something that. We need to encourage each other to find, so it's very much based on a mindfulness, um, you know, structure or or philosophy where we all have everything we need Um, and often we need help with, and, again, it doesn't matter what age you are, but this is about teens and it, it happens in childhood as well. We often just need to be encouraged to find, to sit with ourselves and, first of all, connect with ourselves which is have time to listen to ourselves, connect with ourselves, because in this, the world we live in, and again, for the teenagers, the young people, they're bombarded with information, right? They've got screens coming at them all the time. What they don't have is space, Mm. and we need to encourage them to find a space for themselves where they can connect to themselves. And from there they can connect out authentically because they know what's important to them so it kind of has a shape but everybody's shape is is uh, unique to them so we so it's really sitting with yourself and understanding that and then allowing your own knowledge that is uniquely yours your own preferences in life what feels good uniquely to you to sort of bubble up it's like if you don't have time to sit with yourself where is it you can't find it and I think that's a really big thing so once you've got that that's authentic connection to yourself then you can authentically start connecting to the world and people like myself and anyone who a parent can do it with with the knowledge a little bit of knowledge not too much um, they can just think I'm going to create downtime with my child where they don't have any screens and we're going to practice sitting together. And it might be that we just play a little bit of soft music, or it might be that we just go, we're going to sit here and we're just going to think our own thoughts with no distractions. Make it when they're young, make it fun. It's something you do together as a family, you know? Because the world is so fast and it's overwhelmed for them, which we're seeing obviously. We see it. It's a it's a growing problem. It's an epidemic.
1: It is the busyness, and I think if people have younger kids, if you're out there and you're listening and you've got younger kids and we know how busy it is when there's a mm-hmm. lot of kids going, you know, I had three under the age of five, I get it. Um, but if possible at all, I don't know if they do this at kindergarten, but when I was a camp counselor in Canada growing up, we used to have rest hour. And rest hour was after lunch and we would all have lunch in the dining hall. We would go back to our cabins and we would have rest hour. And some people would nap and some people would write in a journal or read. And it was just such a great practice. And it was just that quiet downtime. And nowadays someone might go, okay, I'm going to have time. They might think, oh, I'm going to have time and they'll get on their phone. So again, it's consumption of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, So instead of that, it's like rest hour, which is no phones. And I think if people have young kids, they might go like, let's have quiet time, you know, a rest hour, but it's Mm -hmm. something that we don't really do as much. And I think if we can bring that back, um, is there also a relation between busy parents, busy children, meaning if the parents are rushing around doing a thousand things and never, I guess it's like role modeling, but also never integrating that space into their life the child doesn't necessarily see it so can we as parents role model that and therefore it will trickle down
0: to our kids oh definitely absolutely and I mean parents just have that window of opportunity but yes um, it is partly if the parents are always busy there's as you say there's two sides to it one is they're always busy so they don't have time to authentically or sorry they don't have as much time perhaps that would be ideal To authentically connect to their children, or when they do have it, if they are sitting all together, they're all on their phones anyway. So that it is role modelling. If they don't do that, it's more likely that the children won't sit on their phones. But also it is if they if the children see the parents taking time out from work to just sit and relax and not be busy and talk with each other. The children will see that as a normal thing to do. It's it's whereas yeah, distracted parents <clears throat> do create distracted children. Unfortunately, usually, I mean, obviously these are broad statements because we, as we all know, individuals can be quite different. But broadly speaking, that would be the pattern. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. And
1: so there's distraction and there's also a lot of anxiety. That's probably something that I hear almost on the daily in the work that I do. People say, what do you have for anxiety? I know mm-hmm. you've got a degree. I think it's in psychology and philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, what are, are you seeing a rise in anxiety and also um, the age of children suffering from that? Is, that? is that lower and lower all the time?
0: Yeah, there's a huge rise in it. Yep. And uh obviously, spiked with the pandemic, i think I think it was coming anyway, to be honest, um but I think the pandemic accelerated the rise of the anxiety in the children. so um on the phones, for instance, at Lifeline, we noticed we had more children calling in because we're not youthline, but we but all ages do call in. We started having a high percentage of children ringing in and as low as eleven um. Very high anxiety, very, very high anxiety, not being able to cope, not knowing how to manage themselves. Um, I do think the disconnection fuels the anxiety. I don't think they're separate issues. Um, But I don't think it's the only thing that fuels anxiety. It's just in the mix. Does that make sense? It's one of the things.
1: When an 11-year-old rings... (laughs) <laughs> is it them literally ringing off their own back or is it the mom ringing and handing the phone to them to get some support?
0: Um, sometimes the mom does it, definitely. Sorry, mother um, or father? It can be fathers. Um, it's more likely to be a mother, to be honest, but it can be a father. Yeah. Um, Usually when they're 11, it's not usually a friend. If they're a little bit older teens, sometimes the, their friends are supporting them to ring a helpline like that. Um, also, I'd like to make a note too that the younger they are, an 11-year-old is most likely to be texting in. Mm-hmm. It takes, they're not very confident to ring and talk. That's one side of it. The other side, the other reason that they text. So it's confidence. And the second thing is the fact that, Uh, they may not have any personal space and they don't want anyone to know. So if they're texting, they can be in the room with their family and their family won't know what they're talking about and who they're talking to.
1: Well, what a great service that it's available. I mean, it's tragic that the 11-year-olds are ringing in and and everyone else, Um, Mm -hmm. but it's amazing that they have somewhere to ring. They have a number to either call or to text. Um, What are some actionable strategies? You talked about you know, they don't know how to cope and they they don't know how to manage themselves. If you were on the phones, like, is there anything you can share with our listeners today to either empower the parents or we do have kids listening to the show. So any strategies you can share with us that people can implement in their daily life to be less anxious, more connected and Mm. ideally happier?
0: Yeah, Um, I think for the parents, I would say really important to spend time with your children, talk talk to them and try and be as calm and reassuring as you possibly can. I mean, stable adults who have the ability to consistently reassure an anxious child is hugely helpful. Um, that child will then... Um, they will get the modelling that actually... It feels like it's going to be okay if they can feel that from there. It's a stable thing that they can have there. That's just there beside them. Um, the other thing that I think is really quite powerful is to say to a child, "I know at the moment you feel whatever you feel. So you might they might feel highly anxious, and they." they're never going to feel they can cope or they're not going to be calm or they feel that, you know, everything's wrong or whatever it is. You can say to them, I know that it will come right and I need you to trust me with that. And while you can't hold the belief, I'll carry it for you. I will hold the belief and hope for you until you're ready to take it and then we will hand it back to you. You know, so you're actually giving them a visual, like I'm going to hold it for you. I'll be here beside you. I'm going to be reassuring all the time. And when you're ready, and I know you will will be, you give them that message. That's when you can hold that trust and belief and hope yourself. I think that's really important. So that's sort of for the adult. So calm, consistent, reassuring, holding that faith. For the children, I would say keep reaching out no matter what you do. just if you can't talk to your family because unfortunately sometimes they can't you know their their own households are too chaotic they can't talk to anyone that can uh, hold that space for them text lifeline text Use line Um, sometimes if they're really young their friends um, can't hold that space and they instinctively know that so that isn't necessarily a good thing sometimes to talk to their friends about it so talk to the adults that can hold that space for you some if it's not your family it might be a teacher it might be a friend's mother you might have an older cousin or yeah as I said it might be lifeline or UseLine. but just continue to reach out yeah and
1: yeah <laughs> I love how you um, elaborated there when you said stable adult and then later on you said consistent. So let's talk a little bit more about what does a stable, consistent adult look like? What do you mean by that?
0: Um, They're always, they're around. If they say they're going to be around, they're around. Um, I mean, we all have to work. It's not that you have to be there all the time for your child, but be there when you say you're going to be there. Um, try and be there as much as you can. So consistency is, you know, do what you say and and you know say what you do. So have that match there because it's you know it is easy. I mean we're all guilty of it. I mean I've had children. I mean they're grown up now, but you know we're all guilty guilty of sort of thinking oh I'm telling them this but actually I, oops I don't think I do that in my life. So you know do what you say say what you do. Um, so yeah, being around and being open and being able to be stable. Develop enough emotional capacity in yourself so that you are safe for them, so that you're not knocked off. Like if they're having a panic attack, this this is not uncommon. Their anxiety spirals out, they're having a panic attack. You be stable enough. Equip yourself to be able to sit in that space with them and go, it's going to be okay. So you're you're always the one that's calm. You're going to be okay. I know it's a big ask. I know it's because it's distressing. It's distressing if your child is highly distressed. So maybe a parent can equip themselves by um, taking mindfulness lessons, learning about mindfulness themselves so they can access that connection and that presence within themselves. When we do that, we naturally give that to other people. It just happens. And for those listening,
1: we had some other techniques on previous shows that we mentioned Lance Bradette on our navigating grief and loss episode. If you haven't listened to that, go back to it. Then on our previous keeping kids safe, um, I was talking to Sheena Malley and she gave some, what she calls havening techniques, which are an, more techniques to help calm yourself down because obviously a calm parent or adult, um, is going to be more helpful to the child who, or teen who is anxious. So um, the other thing, Carrie, I wanted to highlight, it might not be the parent. Is that right? It might be a grandparent that ends up being that stable, consistent adult in their life.
0: Mm. I don't know that it matters who it is, as long as they're reasonably easy for them to access regularly. Yeah. Just, but usually they just sort of need one to get them through, you know? Yeah. Like I've, I've, I know
1: a teen at the moment and growing up, his dad was away a lot, like working uh, you know, big important job, but away a lot. But as a result, his granddad was always there, drove him to school, drove him to practice. He was there, so he still had, and he had a mother, so he still had a couple of stable, consistent adults in his life.
0: Mm. Mm. And honestly, that's that's usually enough. It's not uncommon if you think about more collectivist cultures, perhaps than what we live in. It is quite common that the grandparents, even or one grandparent, even lives or one family member lives in the house with them. And while the parents might be working, you know, 24-7, somebody's there cooking the meals and, and is around, someone who loves them and that's safe and consistent. So, yeah, doesn't have to be the parents. No? Mm. Mm. And the other thing that was so
1: valuable, what you said, I'll just reiterate, <laughs> is around the verbiage, the languaging, you know, I will hold the belief and the hope for you. So whether the child, whatever, didn't make the – baseball team or the relationship with their first boyfriend just broke up or whatever's going on for them and they're really anxious or they're just anxious about life in general um yeah is i will hold that belief for you i will support you in knowing that they're supported and if not they can call or text lifelong mm-hmm. what other techniques can you share with us possibly around mindfulness you know yes we're all busy how can we be more mindful
0: mm-hmm. Um, so being mindful is a sort of a philosophy. It's a way of being. It's, it's not so much a doing thing. There are a few things we can do, though. So one of them is to um, teach ourselves the habit of regularly pausing and checking in with ourselves regularly during the day. So it might look like um, you just stop for a moment, and it doesn't matter when. Or where and it also doesn't matter whether it's for a minute or 10 minutes or anything in between you just pause you look around you notice where you are so you notice things about your external environment so it might be you know the sun is shining i'm hot i'm cold um, your internal environment how am i feeling oops i'll drop my shoulders because my shoulders are up around my ears i'll take a couple of big deep breaths oh i think i'm hungry um all these things are grounding you into the present moment and then, you. So, but what you're doing is you're teaching yourself to come back within. You're checking in on yourself. You're connecting to self. You're becoming present. Most of us, statistics actually say, studies show, that we spend 47% of our lives on autopilot, which means that we are here, for instance, talking now, you and I, Natalie, But our brain, we're doing this, but actually, we're we've done this before. So the part of our brain is planning tonight's meal and what time we're picking up the kids and what the dog's doing. And often we're, you know, we're driving our car. As you all know, we do this, and you get from A to B, and you think, Oh goodness me, I'm here already, and you don't even remember driving there. So pausing regularly, you're you're training yourself to keep coming back to yourself. Notice your breathing have a big sigh, connect. So this is a tool to connect to yourself. You are training yourself. So it's a bit like a mini meditation, really, but you're not trying to, um, you're just trying to connect with yourself regularly. Because let's face it, a lot of us, especially in busy family times when your children are still at home, it's hard even to carve out for half an hour to do a meditation or 20 minutes can seem impossible. But you, know, you could set out something on your phone or you know, every time you went to the bathroom or if you are in an office, every time you went to get a cup of coffee, you could think, I'm going to practice my pause. I'm going to stop. I'm going to look around. I'm going to connect with my internal and external environment. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to, yeah, work out where I am who I am in this mini moment, and then at that point, you've got clarity, you know how you're feeling, where you are, you're truly present, and you're ready to calmly go out there and, you know, authentically and clearly connect with the world because you're grounded where you are, as opposed to being in a million places at once. You know, it really affects us. We get very, well, we talk about it, don't we? Oh, I'm so scattered.
1: Yeah, it's quite common. I've written down in my notes here: pause and be present, and notice and commentate. You know, like you said, oh look, and I'd be look outside and I say, oh look at those leaves fluttering mm-hmm. in the breeze, and oh, you know, and I mm-hmm. I notice my breath and things like that. I think I think it is. It's so easy to do, but it's so easy to get swept up in the daily to do list and to not
0: do that. Exactly. Yeah, it really is so simple to. But it's like all things in life. The simple things are often the best things, but they're often the most overlooked things. Mm. Mm. They are. Mm. Um, One thing I wanted to
1: ask you about, I know previously when we chatted, we were talking about distress and you said most distressed people are the most isolated people. Can we talk a bit about isolation and what you see?
0: Yeah. Yeah, so isolation is, you know, the worst thing that can happen to human beings. So we're not we're we're physiologically not set up to live in isolation and it's really, really bad for us. Um and what happens unfortunately over time, if people have mental health issues particularly, but it can also happen with physical health issues, um that makes it difficult for whatever reason, physically or mentally or emotionally, to connect to the world. Uh, they end up with these stories running in their heads that they're a burden um, to their friends who don't want to hear them moan any longer or whatever it is, um, whatever their personal story is, and so they kind of withdraw from society. Just it can happen quite slowly, and over time, this just makes it so bad for them. It's so unhealthy and it makes them really miserable, and they become. Very, very, it just exacerbates everything so they become more and more depressed and it's harder and harder to reach out. So loneliness is often a product of illness, mental or physical. It can go the other way and sometimes people are lonely for reasons that are different from that. you know, maybe they are from a different country and maybe they've got cultural barriers or something. I don't know. So loneliness can create the illness as well as the illness can create the loneliness. But whichever way it goes, it's a bit like the classic chicken and egg, isn't it? But whichever way it goes, it is extremely detrimental to our health and well-being. And you know, we have um very high suicide rates in New Zealand Um, and lack of connection is a huge contributor to that yeah
1: so isolation can happen obviously at any age sometimes we think of the elderly but it can happen with kids and adults as well can Mm -hmm. it all and we don't just assume that it's people that are not around many others. It can actually happen to people who look like they're fine, and it looks like they have a good crowd of friends. Yeah, yeah. How do we identify if someone is feeling lonely, isolated, and it's and it's it is detrimental. It is a warning sign. How do we know?
0: Um, you might find that they yeah they look from the outside like they've got all the right things, friends, etc. But you might notice that they're not the ones that instigate any interaction, social interactions maybe, which might um, indicate a bit of a lack of confidence or a bit of a disconnection. Um, you might find that they, yeah, I don't know, that's, it's hard because it would be different for everybody. It's like, if we're talking about families and children, it's um, or even in your friend group, noticing changes in behaviour maybe. Um, they're not they seem okay but then every now and then if you look at them and you they don't know you're looking at them you'll notice this incredible sadness on their face or this they look different um you know read their bodies what are their body you know are they slumped over and um yeah I mean it is a really individual thing but a, a change is a real indicator of it's start to be curious about that and explore it and have gentle conversations and maybe not too directly but just you know how you do with children skirt around things and try and suss out what's going on yeah because people can be uh I think you've got to be careful if you see that people and it's adults as well as children I think children are just more vulnerable to it if they are All their socialising is mostly on their phones, even though we're not, we haven't been in the pandemic now for several years. You know, if they've continued on with that, I think that would be a real warning sign for anybody uh, because it's good to have friends and play games with them and do all that socialising online, but it's not the same. You know, if you're not physically present with somebody, you can't activate all your senses so there's lots that happens when we're physically in the presence of someone that can't happen through a screen. And again, we're we're evolved to use all of our senses and our interactions. And we do it without knowing we're doing it, but nonetheless we do it. And if we're blocked from doing that because it's we're not physically with them, we end up with a a distrust, a lack of ground to stand on, a lack of absolute trust on where we stand with that person, and this is all going on subconsciously, of course. But actually, I wonder, because uh, I think about this and explore it, I wonder whether that's adding to this disconnect. Does that make sense? Because no, we're not- and
1: it just highlights how important it is to for all of us. Uh, to get out into the real world, <laughs> and I know you talk a lot about nature, so we can talk about mm. na- nature next. I mean, mm. I've got a friend; you know, her child is very anxious, not comfortable in crowds, homeschooling because of not being comfortable back at school, and all of that. Um, but if they have one thing, and he has his sport, um, his specific specific sport, which I won't mention because I, I, you know, keep it confidential. But and and that is the thing; it's like the thing that gets him out the house interacting with people in the real world. And it, that seems to be working well for them as a strategy. So I guess what I'm going to take from what you've just said is, is if they are anxious and if they're, you know, don't have a lot of friends and all that, it's like if we can get them out into the real world, even if it's a couple of times a week, I've got another friend, same thing. Her, you know, daughter doesn't really go to school. Um, it was it was a pre-COVID situation that's gone on a long time. But if they can have at least one or two opportunities to get out in the real world um, where it doesn't cause them more anxiety, that is going to help. Let's talk about nature. I know you're a huge advocate of nature for helping with connection. How does it help? Why does it help? Why is it so good?
0: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we are part of the natural world, right? Um, We are part of the ecosystem that we live in. And as human beings, we've tended to think, Oh, you know, our minds are so brilliant that we've created this amazing, you know, the world's now so small and we can access all of this and blah, blah, blah. But natural fact, um, we are still animals who are part of an ecosystem and, you know, it's debatable whether we're doing a good job with how we're treating our part of the ecosystem. But nonetheless, um, that this is why it's so good for children because naturally uh, we instinctually know that we feel good when we're, you know, barefoot on the ground, Uh, We're in contact with nature. We can smell the flowers. We can recognise the beauty that is around us, whether it's autumn leaves or whether it's, you know, summer flowers or whatever. Um, Children, and you don't need to tell children this because they're much more instinctual than adults. So you just put them in that environment. It's not a pressure for them, even if they're highly anxious. It's not a pressure for them to be walking through the bush or walking on the beach. And they will love it and they will gain so much from it. And it's a recognition of well, they don't consciously recognize it, but you're giving them that opportunity to intuitively feel part of the world we live in, the ecosystem that we live in, the nature that we live in. We are part of it, right? And we all yeah, so they will feel connected to that. So a lot of anxiety is and again, as I said before, broadly speaking, disconnect comes in, into it a lot. Um, pressure, all that sort of thing. And I think when they're in the nature, it's kind of all forgotten. Nature doesn't put pressure on us. You know, nature just naturally does its thing, right? Leaves grow, then they fall off. You know, it's very cyclic and it's quite relaxed, you know. It just goes around, it happens children just feel that it's just so good for them yeah you know so that's why I think it is it it operates on quite a unconscious level but it's an absolute gift to them you know get them off the screens Mm. I mean that's only one of the things um you know family conversations and reassuring adults and consistent but the nature's just as important probably Getting them and out we can there. Almost
1: follow their lead a bit, what you were saying, like especially with young ones, really young, you know, the primary school kids or, or preschoolers, is they just they're fascinated by maybe it's the reflection in the puddle or the ants you know, crawling along the stones. And I feel like if we can take follow their lead and mm-hmm. share their enthusiasm and fascination, um, reappreciation for nature, we can we can slow down and learn
0: a lot. Mm-hmm. So then, right? You know, we all it, We recognize how good that makes us feel as well.
1: And my kids are a bit older. So now it's more a matter of for one of them, we still sometimes do the playground, but it'll be going up to the playground at the local park and he's playing basketball and I am not coordinated with ball sports. Like I said to him, literally all I'm good at is talking and um, remembering people's names. (laughs) <laughs> and like remembering people, like, I can't I'm really bad at math. I'm so bad at ball sports. Like I was a runner. I can't do anything with balls. But anyway, he's like, mommy, play with me. I'm like, okay. And he's just laughing because I'm so bad, but I'm, I'm doing it. Like it's kind of fun and we're having a bonding experience. We're out in nature And then, you know, we have the dog off the leash, which is always fun. And then sometimes we'll go and we'll walk in the grass or we'll kick the ball on the, you know, down the hill. And so there's a little bit of that. It's slightly different than when they were younger. Um, But I think for me, yeah, getting me outside into nature is, is, is good for me as well. So maybe for those of you listening, I would love to hear from you. How do you stay present? What tools do you use? Is it journaling? Is it nature time? Um, is it breathing techniques? Let us know. We're curious to hear. You can send a text to or you can send an email inbox at realitycheck.radio. Definitely let us know. Um, and how do you stay present? How do you, um, cope when you feel a little bit anxious or your child does as well? Carrie, coming back to our overarching topic, which is keeping kids safe the experience that you've had, the people that you're working with, what other themes do you have coming up? Or what else are you personally concerned about along these lines?
0: Mm. Um, I would say there's a real lack of resilience around coping with uncertainty, which I know is quite a broad thing to say. Um, so. people seem less inclined, I'm starting to sound old, aren't I? <laughs> people seem less inclined these days to be able to um, handle the fact that they, they're not sure what's ahead of them. Um, and that's a real theme. It's like, well, I get that, definitely, but but what if it's exciting? Mm. You know? It's almost like they they seem to assume that because they don't know what's ahead of them, there's a lot of uncertainty. And, I mean, the pandemic, again, I haven't referred to the pandemic for ages. So that's interesting that I am a lot today. But, again, um, it caused this huge, because people were just, we didn't know what was going to happen next, right? And everyone, you know, it was just terrible. And I'm just kind of like, well, but it might not be terrible. And there were lots of things that weren't terrible that came out of that. Dolphins came back into, what is it, into Venice waters or, you know, there were lots of things for the climate that were very good. Um, So I guess what I'm trying to say is one of the themes is this lack of resilience around uncertainty and the seemingly natural assumption that what if it's bad? And so my message is, well, what if it's good? Mm. Yeah, and I'm not sure why that's happening, but I think as parents, um, if you've still got influence over your children, you know, modelling that, you know, with changes coming up, whatever, with work or whatever uncertainties are around you, trying to model to your children, you know, just go, oh. Oh, that's not working out we'll have to do it another way what's next you know even if it's something like a you're going to be made redundant for you know something that can be stressful might be that you're forced to move and you can't find a place you know it's like instead of being oh my god we can't do this, this but like oh well gee we'll keep looking we always find the right place It'll be exciting to live. You know, that is an amazing message for your children. It's like, that just, it's okay. If it's uncertain, we absolutely have faith that we know we are in it together and we will work it out together.
1: You're right. There certainly has been a lot of uncertainty in the past three years specifically. So it makes sense that a lot of kids and, and especially teenagers will be thinking, well, I don't know what the opportunities are because we've been so limited. But I like that you're encouraging the parents to have that sense of curiosity and wonder mm-hmm. around, well, what if it is good? And and the world's your oyster a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And that whole phrase, you know, when one door closes, another door opens. I don't know if that's from The Sound of Music. I can't remember. Um, yeah. But I think that's a great reminder to us adults for ourselves, for our own outlook. And then, of course, that trickles down to the kids.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the one door opens, things. Mm. Close, uh, closes and opens. That's one of my absolute favorite sayings. Is it the sound of music? I'm not sure either. <laughs> but I just love it, and I use it quite a bit. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Hey, I'm going to move on to
1: our um the, the the famous four questions that I ask every guest. um Anything else? Any other actionable tips or strategies you want to mention before I go to my next question?
0: Um, I don't think so. To be honest, I think just yeah, really, if you can learn to connect with yourself and be present. And calm, that's that's the gift you give to everybody, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, yeah. amazing. So
1: um, Carrie, what is one thing that you have uh, done, achieved, or navigated through in the past year where you truly upped your brave?
0: Mm. Okay, well, what I did quite recently, it was the beginning of this year, as I left my role at lifeline, which I loved in order to create a safer nurturing space for my mother in my home because she was very old and frail and getting close to the end of her life. And so I decided to follow my instincts. Um, It was quite a big decision at the time and go, the most important thing for me is to provide the space for her. Um, So I will resign to do that. And, yeah, it took a lot of courage and I had to learn a lot of acceptance and sitting in um, a grief space which uh, culturally I haven't had modelled to me. Um, So it was, yeah, it was really worth it and I'm really, really pleased that I did it and I got the result that I wanted and I believe that she did feel safe on her passage out of this life. And it was really, really rewarding. Yeah, very valuable. Lots of growth. Lots of growth. And uh, so there, that was a uh, that really upped my brave. That was a new experience for me. Mm.
1: Yeah, well, that is amazing. And also, I imagine there's quite a few listeners who can definitely relate to that, to prioritizing taking care of their lovely parent or parents in the older years. And one of the things I talk about a lot is what are you courageously creating and what do you choose to lovingly let go of in order to do that and you lovingly let go of the lifeline job which you genuinely loved mm-hmm. in order to courageously create this space for your mom so that is beautiful
0: mm.
1: the next question is bucket list what is one thing on your bucket list that you would love to do be or experience in your lifetime that we can possibly help you with
0: mm. well I've had a dream for a few years and um, I'm getting closer to it. I'll be able to go and live in Bali for six months. Um, I'm choosing that time because I think that's the longest visa I can get. Um, work digitally from over there, <clears throat> um, you know, in the coaching space. Um, and also, so partly as a sabbatical, but, uh, but also I want to end up running some sort of holistic retreat thing over there too. So while I'm living there, I'll be sussing that out with the idea of being able to do that. Um, I would just love to, and I'd love to do that with, you know, complimentary type practitioners. It's not something I'd do on my own. I'd like to pull in other people who would be interested in doing that and running it for, I don't know, however many days. Yeah. So that's on my bucket list to do. I think that is
1: definitely something we can help with. So if you're listening And you know anything about living in Bali, moving to Bali, running retreats or collaboration, potential collaborations, partnerships for Carrie, then definitely get in touch with her. You can get in touch through us. Also, as always, I'm curious, we're curious to know what is something that you have upped your brave with in the past year or something on your bucket list. We're keen to hear so you can text us in 2057 um, and let us know and we can possibly help you. Kerry, what have you got coming up in the next six months or so? And also, how can people connect with you um, if they want to learn more or they want to get in touch?
0: Mm. I might start with the connection thing first. <clears throat> my website is www.kerryann. I'll spell it dot co dot N Z. And my Instagram handle is Kerryann Coaching, same spelling of Kerryann, just coaching.
1: Thank you for spelling it out because, of course, we are on radio and there's different ways you can spell Carrie and Anne.
0: So it's K-E-R-R-Y-A-N-N. Correct. Yeah. Uh, Coming up for me, for the next six months, I'm really in a period of uh, reflection and processing, Um, consolidation. I've had quite a big start to the year, obviously, on an emotional level, uh, which has been enriching and rewarding, but I feel it's something I'd like to just sit with and give it some grace. Um, but also being quietly open to, you know, new clients and opportunities. I'm not sort of saying I'm not doing anything, but just very much not driving so much out there, more being open to it and taking a bit of time. Yeah. Yeah. That's it.
1: That's so great to hear. There'll be a lot of people out there. you know. Some people are really in creation mode. Some people are in kind of more hermit mode. Some people are in reflection mode. And I think it's so important for us all, it's such a good reminder to allow ourselves, or as you say, give ourselves the grace or the space to mm-hmm. be where we are, meaning to be where we're at. If we are in creation mode, go for it. And if we're just not, don't force it. Just allow things to process. And I think when we take the pressure off and we let our shoulders drop and we just allow ourselves to be where we are, that's when the magic can happen.
0: Mm.
1: So I'm excited to see what, what invitations and opportunities come their way for you.
0: Yeah, thank you. Me too.
1: <laughs> Before we wrap things up, is there anything else that you want to share with our audience around the topic of the importance of authentic connection and keeping kids safe?
0: Um, again, it's just coming back to those really simple things. you know stay, stay in touch with them, obviously. well, you know, sometimes it's not that obvious. it's so easy to be distracted by the alpha world. Um, yeah if if you're struggling, which isn't uncommon too, if your life is busy and you you know your child needs more time, find that other person. Is it the grandma or a grandpa or an auntie, or you know someone else? who can just help hold that child while you're busy. Um, Yeah, and the way to authentically connect is really is you do have to practice checking in with yourself, whether you're meditating, whether you're pausing, you know, the shape of the pause that we talked about, those simple things. But if we do those things daily, they become habitual and then we find we're interacting in the world much more calmly, authentically, you know we're aligning with things that are going to work more naturally. So it's really worth it. yeah, so it's nothing new really, Natalie, it was just that you know, going over the same things to remind people, yeah, it's it's simple, but it's important. yeah,
1: yes, and such a great reminder. I mean, I'm just reflecting on my own life. you know, growing up in Canada, We literally had no relatives. Like me and my sisters, we were born in Canada. That's it. We have no Canadian relatives. So we grew up with no cousins, no aunts and uncles, no grandparents, never met my grandfathers. Everyone's Kiwi. We would fly back once every five years and meet everybody. Um, So for me, you know, one stable, consistent adult was my mom. She was always at home with the baking brownies and with the after-school snack and all that. My dad was a Orthopedic surgeon, that's the reason they went to New Zealand for five years. They stayed for 35, hence me being mm-hmm. there. And he was always working and, and my mom was always there. But the other adult that I just got reminded of was my running coach. So I was a runner and um and just having a, a great, you know, running coach who was consistent all through my high school years. And that was really helpful for me. So shout out to Jill Woolley okay. in Canada, my my running coach.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I'd love the listeners to think about who are the stable, consistent adults that you had on your journey growing up. And maybe it's time for you to maybe reach out to them and maybe I might message her on Facebook, Um, (laughs) reach out to them, give them a little thank you. And also now reflecting on your own family, your own kids, do they have one or ideally possibly one extra, another one, stable, consistent adult in their life? And if not, how can you possibly um, create that opportunity for them to have someone who can can be there for them and as carrie likes to say who can carry the faith for them carrie thank you so much for your wisdom today
0: well thank you for having me on it's been so good talking to you yeah thank
1: Mm -hmm. you so much carrie okay thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next time thanks
0: you're listening to up your brave on rcr reality check radio